Welcome back to our study of the doctrine of the Trinity. Last time we talked about some false teaching related to the Holy Spirit, how some had said that the Holy Spirit was a creature rather than eternally God. And then we looked at what the church confessed back in the early church in the fourth century in the Nicene Creed about the Holy Spirit being glorified together with the Father and the Son. In other words, uh, being worthy of being worshipped with the Father and the Son because He is equally God with the Father and the Son. This time, in this session, we're going to back up a little bit and go back to talking about the Trinity as a whole and we're going to talk about a particular heresy, a particular false teaching related to not the Son in particular or the Holy Spirit in particular, as we have done more recently, but going to talk about a heresy that relates to the Trinity as a whole. And this heresy is called modalism. Now, before we talk about what modalism is, let me say a couple of words about why it is good for us to focus on these false teachings. You might be thinking by now, man, we've spent a lot of time in this series talking about ways that people have gotten the Trinity wrong. We've spent a lot of time talking about false teachings and misunderstandings about the Trinity. Is that really necessary or is that really helpful? And it is helpful, and let me give you a couple of reasons why. One of the reasons why it's very helpful for us to know about and think about some of the misunderstandings, some of the false teachings, some of the heresies that have come up in the history of the church related to the doctrine of the Trinity is number one, because heresy actually causes us to be more clear about what we believe and what we confess. Others have pointed out how this has worked in the history of the church, right? that when a false teaching crops up, the church is compelled in the face of that false teaching to give more attention, more focus to a particular doctrine or part of a doctrine than perhaps the Christians had before, and in so doing to be more clear than they had before about uh, what the church believes, what the church confesses, what the scripture teaches, right? So it's one thing for the church to say, we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then for someone to come along and say, well, I believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but I believe the Son was created by God, that there was a time when the Son was not, like we talked about with Arius. And then the church says, oh, that's not what we meant when we said we believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We didn't mean the Son had a beginning in time, we did, or, or that there was a time when the Son was not. That, that's not what we meant, right? We're talking about the eternal Son. So it causes Christians and the church as a whole to go back to the scripture, right? To, to think more clearly and then to confess more clearly what we believe. And so that's true for us as well as individuals, as we learn about how different people have gone astray in their thinking about the Holy Spirit or in their thinking about uh, the Son of God, then it helps us to clarify our own thinking, to look more carefully at the scripture and say, okay, when we say that Jesus is the Son of God, we don't mean that he had a beginning like a creature, like a human son. We mean that he is eternally begotten 
from the Father, that he's an eternal son. It's different than a human son. So that's one thing is it's helpful for us to, to grow in our understanding and grow in uh, in clarity, both in our thinking and in our confession. The second reason, and a simpler reason, is the one of the purposes of theology is for worship, right? We want to worship and honor God. And in order to worship and honor God rightly, which is what the word orthodoxy is about, right? There's heresy and there's orthodoxy. Orthodoxy means something like right worship, giving right glory. And so you can't give right worship, right glory to God if you are believing and saying things about God that aren't true. You can't properly glorify the Holy Spirit if you're saying the Holy Spirit is a creature or thinking of the Holy Spirit merely as a force instead of a person, the third person of the Trinity. So it also helps us to grow in our orthodoxy. And I mean by that, not just thinking the right things about God and believing the right things about God, but ascribing to God his right glory, his right worth, his right worship by speaking, singing, preaching, praying, believing, the truth about God. So uh, those are just a couple of reasons why it is helpful for us to do this. Now, the, the false teaching, the heresy that we're going to look at this time is one called modalism. And here's how modalism works. This one's pretty easy to remember. Modalism says that there's really only one God who reveals himself in different modes, right? So it sounds close to the truth, like a lot of false teachings do, but there's a significant error in it that ruins the whole thing, right? So we all believe that there's only one God, right? Christians believe there's only one God. That's, that's true. That's right. That's biblical. There's only one God. But the scripture teaches there's one God who eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Modalism says there's just one God who shows himself in different modes. Sometimes he shows himself as the Father. Sometimes he shows himself as the Son. Sometimes he shows himself as the Holy Spirit. But those are not three distinct persons. Those are just three ways, three modes that God appears in or reveals himself in. One way to think of it is that it's like three masks that God wears. Sometimes he puts on his father mask. Sometimes he puts on his son mask. Sometimes he puts on his spirit mask, but it's really just one person, one God, not three persons, one God. So um, modalism, right, is uh, that's, that's a misunderstanding of what the Bible has to say. And another thing that this helps us to realize is um, one of the things, I, I can't remember if we've talked about this in these sessions yet or not, but most of the illustrations that people try to use to sort of you know, help us get our minds around the Trinity, most of them are very problematic. They're well-intentioned, right? But they are... the the illustrations end up being closer oftentimes to some kind of heresy, some kind of false teaching than they are to the truth. So one of the examples is 
the illustration where somebody might say, um, you know, the Trinity is like like a person, like me, who has is one person but I have different roles. I'm a father. I'm a pastor. I'm a husband, right? And so someone might say, like, that's like the Trinity. Well, that's not like the Trinity. That's actually like modalism. Because sometimes I'm acting in my capacity as a husband. Sometimes I'm acting in my capacity as a father. And sometimes I'm asking, acting in my capacity as a pastor. And I might act in slightly different ways in those different roles. Might put on a different mask, so to speak, right? I, um, you know, going to handle those different situations, those different roles slightly differently, even though I'm still the same person. Well, that's really more like modalism. That's not really like the Trinity because I'm just one person, right? So, uh, and another example would be the, the illustration of the, the Trinity being like water, you know, because water can be liquid, it can be frozen into ice, and it can be heated up and turned into a gas. Well, that's three different modes that water, that H2O can exist in, right? Liquid, solid, and gas, but it's still all just H2O, right? Um, and it doesn't uh, typically exist in those three ways in the same place at the same time. But God exists. Yes, he's, it's Father, Son, and the Spirit. They're all God. They're all one. But the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, they all exist simultaneously in the same place, at the same time, at all times, in all places, in fact, as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So that one doesn't really work either, right? So uh, as a general rule, it's a good idea not to try to use illustrations about the Trinity because they end up typically causing more problems than they solve. In fact, I think you could make a case, and others have probably uh, said something like this before, I think you could make a case uh, for saying that many of the false teachings that have arisen in relation to the Trinity um, have arisen from um, people trying to make the Trinity more understandable, trying to make it make more sense. And uh, you know, I don't know if, if you could you know trace that historically to all these people if that was their motive or what. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but but they tend to come across as say, well, the Trinity is too mysterious. It's too hard to get your mind around. Right? How can you have a son who doesn't have a beginning, right? Um, how, how can you have one God who exists in three persons but still one God? Doesn't it make more sense to say he's one God who just shows up in three different ways? Or doesn't it make more sense to say since he's the son, he has to have some kind of beginning? Th those heresies tend to, in one sense, simplify uh, the doctrine of the Trinity. And, and by doing so, they actually remove some key element of the truth of the Trinity, right? They remove something of the mystery involved in who God is and knowing God because God's so much greater than us, right? He's beyond our ability to fully and completely comprehend. That's as it should be because he's God. So again, general rule, not 
usually helpful to use an illustration to try to explain the Trinity. I'm not saying that everybody who does that uh, you know, is, is, a, is committing heresy by any means. Usually using an illustration like that is, is well-intentioned and it's, and it's an attempt to communicate the truth in a simple, practical way. What I am saying is those illustrations tend to be closer to false ideas about the Trinity than to the truth about the Trinity because in reality there's just there's nothing else like God. Um, he, he is in a class all his own. And so one of the reasons why it's so difficult to find illustrations of the Trinity is that there's nothing else like God. Now, I'm not saying there aren't illustrations that you can find that can be used helpfully, um, but just as a, again, as a general rule, best not to do that. Now, how do we respond to this false teaching uh, that we call modalism. How can we show from the scripture that this is not true, that God is not just one God, one person who happens to be showing himself sometimes as Father, sometimes as Son, sometimes as Holy Spirit? Well, the classic text for responding to this is uh, the baptism of Jesus. And we see this in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 3. It's a beautiful passage. It's a significant moment in the life and ministry of Christ, and it's also significant for helping us understand the Trinity. We've mentioned this passage before, but it's helpful for us to think about it in particular in relation to modalism. Now, here's what it says. It says, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now, the reason why that passage is significant for responding to modalism is this. Jesus is God's son who has been born as a human, right? The son has always existed, but he has entered into human history, born as a man, and he has gone into the water to be baptized by John in the Jordan. So there is the Son, the Son incarnate, the Son in flesh, right? And descending from heaven is the Holy Spirit, right? Coming down from heaven to rest upon Jesus. And speaking from heaven is the Father. And we know he's the Father, not only because he's speaking from heaven, but because he says, this is my beloved Son. So there, in one moment, in one place, you have the Father speaking, you have the Son being baptized, and you have the Holy Spirit descending. That cannot be merely one God, one person, showing himself in three different ways at different times in different places, because all three persons are present at the same time in the same place. All right, so that is just one of the many places in the Bible where uh, Scripture is showing us that the one God, right, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel, uh, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right, um, or, well, that would be the Father, right, but the, the one God, right, from the Old Testament is the same one God in the New Testament, and then that one God exists eternally as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Son is the one who took on flesh and uh, dwelt among us, as John says in John 1. Uh, the Spirit is the one who came to rest upon Jesus, the one who, after the Son was, uh, was crucified and risen and ascended to God's right hand, He sent the Spirit 
to empower his disciples, right, to, in, to dwell in believers. Those three persons, the Father, Son, and Spirit, are one God. They are distinct, right? They're distinct persons. They're not the same person, just showing up in different ways. You're going by different names. They're distinct persons, but they are one and the same God. One God who eternally exists in three persons. All right, so, um, and again, that's important for our worship, for the way that we honor God, that we honor God as a trinity, as one God who eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father worthy of worship, the Son worthy of worship, and the Spirit worthy of worship. Now, Lord willing, we will finish up this study of the Trinity with one more session where we will talk about the Trinity and worship. And I look forward to wrapping up our sessions on the doctrine of the Trinity with you, Lord willing, next time. God bless.